Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. So in the last few weeks, we've been um, going through worship series. And I, I shared this with a life group. I shared with this last several weeks. That I believe this is worship, and especially praise, is something that we do well. So this is not a, uh, a sermon that is to correct or behavior modification sermon. Do you understand? I believe this is something that we do well in the end, that the Lord is bringing up this church, this brand new church with worshipers. All right? So that's who we are as an identity, as our core value. So understand this is not to correct anyone. But it is to have a deeper understanding of what worship is or what's going to happen. Because I believe that what if we have an incomplete view of worship? If it's incomplete, then we would have, we would give less than complete worship. What we believe we act on. So if we have a less than complete view of worship, then we will give less than what God deserves in worship. And if we give less than what God deserves, then we fail to be what God calls us to be. I know that sounds harsh, but it starts with what we believe. If we have anything less than what God desires for us to know, then it stems everything else crooked. I believe that there is more to worship than meets the eye. And we shared in the last several weeks that I believe there is something happening in the heavenly realm that when we, the people of God worship, there is something happening. Where there is coming to an agreement with the heavens from the angels and the elder and what God's doing. But there's something deeper than that. When the people of God worships the Lord, God pours out his grace. Let me pause there. Often I think in the church, uh, Christians, we say it's by grace we are saved. Right? Not by works. And we often associate the word grace as a New Testament word. Okay? But grace is God. It, the word grace means favor, gift of God, undeserving. It's anything that we don't deserve that God has released, that's grace. That's favor. That's gift of God. And that gift is all throughout the Bible. That's a character of God that he has released all throughout from the Genesis all the way up. Okay? So this grace is demonstrated. But where we see this demonstration of God's grace is when God's people worship. When God's people worship, God's grace, his favor, his blessings are poured out. So I believe that worship is the bridge to God's blessing is a bridge to victory. So who in here needs victory in your life? Yeah. When we are in circumstances where we are hopeless, we're helpless. When we are in a situation where we are so anxious or in fear, sometimes that hinders us from wanting to even come to church or to even worship God. But I would argue that's exactly the time that we need to worship God. 
that we need to press into when we are in a time of seasons of storm. When we need victory, it is when we need to worship. So worship needs to be proactive. And worship needs to be pressed in for God to release that victory. Okay, and please understand, I'm not saying any of this to say, hey, let's manipulate God for more blessing. No, you cannot manipulate God. You cannot trick God. God knows your heart. God knows if it's true worship or not. But I teach you all this and to say, you cannot receive all of God's grace in your life unless there is worship. Because worship is the bridge. Amen. Okay, so... We're going to look at a few examples of this, but uh, call me by surprise because as I was doing, when I do sermon preparation, I have all these outlines. I, I get the text, I get the examples, and then I compile my ideas and all these things. I found myself really looking into the book of Joshua. And don't get me wrong, I've done Bible study series and teaching and, and, and preached a whole sermon series on Joshua. But for some reason, as I was preaching about worship, I just got not stuck. I dove in deeper into Joshua. So I, we're going to look at a few examples. And um, the example, and you, hopefully you guys know this story. Joshua and Jericho, the city of Jericho. You guys know this story? Okay. So the background is God called the Israelite out of the land of slavery in Egypt. And you, the Prince of Egypt. If you've never read the Bible, you know, the Prince of Egypt cartoon. Uh, here is Moses saying, yes, uh, to God, there is a plague. He takes the, the millions of people, the, the Israelites, out of the land of slavery into going towards God's promise. And God's promise is the promise that he made to Abraham. I will make a nation out of you. I bless you, and I will be their God, and there will be my people. I mean, this is a huge blessing promise. So, after 40 years journeying through the, the wilderness, only reason it's 40 years is because of their rebellion. But finally, after 40 years, they get to the Jordan River. Moses dies, and Joshua, his protege, takes the reign. They cross the Jordan River, and their first obstacle is to defeat the land of Canaan, or the Canaanites there, and, and which is the Jericho. That's the backdrop. Now, hear me out. When you are ready to battle where you're going into war and you are going to place the lives of your family members and this is family the whole nation of Israel is family their cousins and second cousins and everyone else you're putting their lives in danger in war what would you do when we see examples Joshua proactively worshiped God first before anything else if we look at how we prepare ourselves even for let's say uh, school athletic competition you prepare your body you prepare your mind you prepare the uh, the equipment whatever it is and that's the logic of what we do with before a competition Joshua placed God first put God first and that's worship so let's look at that uh, example in Joshua chapter 4, they cross over the Jordan River, which is sort of the state line. 
God stops the water supernaturally upstream so that they're able to cross the river on dry land. It's sort of this, um, you saw the examples of Moses, what happened with splitting of the sea. You see examples of God moving in Joshua's life. They cross over. What do they do? They set up an altar. They had each uh, leader of each tribe, 12 men, pick a stone from the river and made an altar. And there they bow down and worship the Lord first. First thing they enter into the promised land, what do they do? They worship God. They set up an altar as a memorial to say, hey, there's going to be a next generation of people who are going to see this altar. And they're going to ask, Grandpa, what is that? And it's those teaching moments where they'll set up a memorial to say, that is when the Lord took us from the land of slavery into this promise. It is the day that the Lord allowed us to enter into his promise that he had made to Abraham. It is the day that he gave us victory over the Canaanites, the Israelites. Yeah, all the enemies of the parasites and whatever. Cellulites. Cellulites. What? Victory over cellulites. That's prophetic, right? Because look at Caleb. <laughs> Not a cellulite Okay. <laughs> termites. Yeah, victory over the termites. Oh, my goodness. We are going way off tangent. All right. <laughs> Joshua sets up the altar and worships the Lord. That's the first thing. Worship is giving honor. But sometimes your worship is not just for yourself. It's for the next generations. That altar that God showed them to make, it was not just to honor God. It was to honor the next generations. Worship is never just about us. It's to honor God, but there is this overflow of his blessings, and sometimes it's to the next generation. The moment we forget that, the church dies. You guys realize that? If we are not thinking about our next generation, our children, or the ministry, we die. So they set up the altar of 12 stones and crossed over the Jordan River. And then look, see what the Lord did. God exalted Joshua. Joshua honors God, and God exalts Joshua. I, I love this. Joshua 4, 11 and, and following. And when all the people had finished passing over, this is the river, the ark of the Lord and the priest passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the son of Gad and the tri half tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in all of him, just as they had stood in all of Moses all the days of his life. When we honor God, God honors the worshiper. Those who honor God first, God honors. That's grace. That's grace. Why should God honor the worshiper? He doesn't have to. 
But God is moved in his heart. Says, you are my worshiper. You love me, I will show my love. I will bless you. I will exalt you in your position. That's grace. So the Israelites cross over to Jordan. They set up an altar. And they worship him. Now they're ready to get to a fight. They're ready for war. Now what do you do when you're ready for war? Well, you might think, let's get some good rest because we'll probably wake up super early in the morning. Make our body well. Eat well because you're not going to be eating maybe for days. Get your equipment ready. Whatever it is for war. What does Joshua do next? Any guesses? He had the men circumcised. Tell me if that's logical at all. Yeah, great battle plan. Yeah, you get a surgery just before going to war. Doesn't make sense. But God gave the command. Because the circumcision was to mark their body to say we're God's people. I, I recognize it sounds a little harsh, but that was what God did with the Israelites from the beginning with Abraham and all the way up. It was a mark of his faith. And for some reason, while they were in the desert, obviously these next generation, they were not circumcised. They enter into this promised land, and Joshua obeys the command to get circumcised. Think about that, though. It's completely contrary to logic. You're ready to go into battle. They could be attacking any time when you're weak. And you see many examples of that where those who were circumcised, circumcised were so, God, I don't like saying this, but I'm saying it so often. So, <laughs> surgery. <laughs> They're weak in the body, and the enemies attacked them while they were vulnerable, and they lost, and they died. Here's Joshua proactively doing that. It's completely illogical. Why would Joshua be faithful? Because God called him to. Here's the thing. As Joshua was faithful to the little, he learned to trust him for the bigger. As he was faithful to that task, God gives him even a bigger task. Joshua knew, having followed Moses and all through the journey and entering in, seeing the miracles, what God says goes. That's obedience. When Obedience is worship. Did you guys know that? When we think of worship, we often think of singing, praise. But it's clapping of the hands. It's lifting of the hands. It is to give. It is to serve. It is the act of service. It is obedience. That's worship. It's because worship is to say yes to you, Lord. Whatever you say, that's the complete obedience. My faith, my logic, it may not completely understand, but it doesn't matter. Obedience is worship. And God tests to see are you worthy for me to give you the bigger task? If you can't be faithful to the small task, why should I give you the bigger tasks? Because you're not going to be ready for the bigger task if you can't be faithful to the small task. If you remember the, the parable that Jesus uh, told in Matthew 25, there's a story of a master of the house ready to leave, right? And he gave a portion of his estate or money to his three servants. You guys remember that story? Okay. So it says this. 
he entrusted his property to his servants. In verse 15, it says, to one he gave five talents. And talent is, let's just say $1,000, okay? Let's say $5,000 um, of money. To another, two talents. And to another, one talent. In each according to his ability. Then he went on his way. Now, the key point of this parable was that the master gave according to his ability. You guys get that? He knew the guy who received the five, that he was more able, ability, capability, more than the guy who received the two or the one. So what, what happens at the end of the story? The guy who had the five doubled to the ten. The guy who had the two doubled it to four. The guy who had the one, the least capable, what did he do? He dug up a hole. He protected the money. Didn't even make any, you know, profit from it. But what profounds me from that story is that the master already knew their capability. And to the one who had many, who had the five, who doubled to ten, he got even more. He took the one talent from the guy who did nothing with it and gave it to the guy who, who's going to do something with it because he knew his ability. God tests all of us with a small tasks and see what you're going to do. Are you able to be faithful to this task? Because if you can be faithful to the small, he'll give you the bigger. And if you can be faithful to the bigger, he'll give you even bigger. See, this is the grace that he gives us in the stages that we are able. He does not give us anything that we cannot because he already knows what you are capable of. But when he does invite you and you are faithful to that, it grows. Your capacity grows. Your blessings grow. Joshua knew this, and he was faithful to the task because he knew the ultimate prize is the nation, the promise. And he knew that promise. Immediately following this obedience with a surgery, I'm, I'm looking out for that C word, I'm just replacing surgery here. And observing their, then they observed the Passover. Immediately following this obedience, in the very next text of that chapter, is a story of the print, uh, the the captain of the Lord's army. You guys know that. So I, I want you to picture this scenario. They cross over. They built the altar. God exalted Joshua. They had the surgery. And what does God do? Immediately he sends what the Bible says, captain of the Lord's army. Let me read that for you. Joshua 5.14. Um, oh, before that, Joshua sees a man with a sword drawn. And Joshua had asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Right? Because the man has a sword. He looked like he's ready for battle. And Joshua has a legitimate question, are you with us, for us, or are you for our adversaries or our enemies? And his response was this in Joshua 5.14, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord, now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did. Now, 
Immediately, if you read the Bible, that should sound very familiar, very similar to Moses and the burning bush. That was the only time when the voice says, take off your sandal, the place you're standing is a holy ground. Now, was that ground especially holy and God says, oh, that's a holy ground, let me come down? No. God shows up. When God shows up, he makes everything holy. When heaven comes down, when God comes down, he makes that place, that which was dirt, holy. And Moses, hearing, take off your sandal because the grand you're holy. That was God. Commander of the Lord's army. I know the Bible says the commander, and that's how it's translated. But if we do a deep study into the word commander, it's, it can be translated prince. Prince of the Lord's army of Yahweh is Jesus. So I'm just giving you the conclusion without the deeper study. The, I've done the deeper study. That's Jesus. Jesus shows up with a sword. And whoever thought Jesus was pacifist, I don't know. But Jesus showed up with a sword. <laughs> God showed up when the people obeyed. When they obeyed to something that seems so illogical, so contrary to war preparation, when they were faithful to the task that God called them to, God showed up. He sent his own son to lead. And this captain of the Lord's army, the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, demonstrated that the war was spiritual. The war was spiritual. Their fight was not against flesh and blood, but their fight was spiritual. It was judgment on the land of Canaan and the people. If you want to understand, yeah, the Old Testament, God was angry. He just destroyed people. Oh, they were in sin. This was a form of his judgment. At the same time, fulfilling his promise to giving this land to his promised heir in Abraham. There was two tasks in giving this land. Judgment and promised blessings. But God showed up. Jesus showed up, brought heaven down, and Joshua worshipped. Because the only appropriate response when you see Jesus is to worship. You fall onto that dirt and say, Lord. And the Lord instructed Joshua and his men, this unique instructions for battle in Joshua 6, 3 and following. This is the instructions for battle. He said, you shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with a ram's horn... When you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, and everyone straight before him. So I want you to get this instruction for war. God says, walk around the city with your instruments, and then I want you to shout. Shout like you've never shouted. The instructions were of worship with a priest leading this battle plan. You guys get that? God's saying, I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to give you the opportunity to defeat the enemies. 
It's not going to be with swords. It's going to be with worship. You guys see this, this profound thing? Worship is at the head of this battle plan. This is a crazy battle plan. Think about it. I know some of you guys are family. Sometimes we put ourselves at risk for a more dangerous thing than what we were maybe willing to do for our own family or our own kids. Like, I'd rather do more dangerous tasks than, let's say, my son possibly getting hurt. That's who we are. They're family, ready to go into war, and God says, worship. Just do a march, do a shout, do a little trumpet blowing. It doesn't seem logical because at any moment, they could be shooting arrows over the walls and they could be killed. It's a dangerous task. But Joshua obeyed. And we know the story. We know the end story, right? They had great victory. All because Joshua was faithful to each task. God, he put worship at the forefront of every task. And God exalted Joshua. God anointed Joshua. God blessed Joshua and the Israelites and all who followed him. When there is worship, there is victory. Because worship is a bridge of God's grace. Worship is a means to win God's heart and to win his grace over our lives. You know, it's interesting that, and, and we just had this discussion last night in our life group. And I had asked a question. Um, when was it ever difficult to worship? And people have shared. Uh, gosh, when sometimes I'm distracted, it's hard to worship. Sometimes when I go through the storms of life, the difficulties, it, it keeps me. When I'm anxious, when I'm fearful, when I'm going through the difficulties, it's hard for me to worship. But it's when we go through those seasons that we need to worship. Because if we want victory, if we need victory, we need to worship. But it's interesting that when we are in, caught up in these scenarios or situations where it's hard for us to worship, we take the task to what seems logical. Right? We pray. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But we say, God, help me. We go straight to the prayer of supplication. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not telling you that's wrong. But that's what we do. When we're in the storm, we cry out for God's help. Let me just allow me to, uh, to say, what if we worship first? Honor God first before we ask him for help. Don't you think... God be more inclined to hear our petitions if we put honoring him first rather than we treat him like a genie. God, help me. Bless me. I need this. You know, years ago when my kids were much smaller, after a long day of work, I come home, and as soon as I, with a key, my kid would hear the door, and as soon as I opened the door, I kid you not, my little baby, whether 
crawling or running, run to me and just jump in my arms. She was my best cheerleader. <laughs> As, um, you know, so many people have said, you will never know the love of God until you have your own children. Because we say, that's when you know the unconditional love for your own child, right? We, we, we say things like that. But for our, our, the parents here who have experienced, you know, you receive so much love, especially when they're little. <laughs> so much love that was a, was a complete surprise. As my child gave me the love, I remember thinking, what would I not do for this child? As she's kissing me, hugging me, and like cheering me on, all like really concerned about my welfare. I'm thinking, man, what would I not give you for that kiss, that hug, that love? We hear, and you'll, you'll catch more flies with honey than vinegar. You heard that idiom, right? What does that mean? Something sweet is more captivating and more effective. Even in the business world, come on. If you want to win a contract or a business, you work the sweets. You schmoo them, wine and dine, drop off a gift sometimes to get them to think about you. Because you're saying, I love you. You want to love me. We do this, right? Because honey wins more than vinegar. Yet, in the church, we just go straight to prayer. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying, when we put God and worship first, imagine what could happen. Like I said, you can't manipulate God. But if you put honoring him first, his heart would go out to you. His love would be extended in your life. Even before you even ask, he would bless you and answer your needs. I, I, there was a time I was in mission school. And I say sort of the, the stereotype of that mission school was like a spiritual bubble. Okay, beautiful Hawaiian campus, beautiful people like my wife walking around. I mean, it is a great situation, okay? Before any teaching, there is worship. Every morning, afternoon, spiritual, we had speakers, teachers, authors from all around the world coming to teach profound things, right? Weekly community work. I mean, it was so good. And during that time, I couldn't help be just in tune with God. I mean, we're just worshiping morning and night. Everything's just God's word. And we're just like, oh, feed me, you know, give me more. It was a spiritual bubble, and it was so good. But can I tell you, during that time, there was uh, particular wants, desires of mine that I never told anyone. One was... God was healing me so much that I started to miss my family. I never missed my family. Being away from my family, being away in school, I never missed my family. I mean, they're a good family. Don't get me wrong. I love my family, but I never missed them. But as God started to bring this healing in my life, I started missing my family. I asked for pictures of my family. I, and so they, <laughs> I never carried any pictures, but my family sent me a care package with pictures of the family because I asked for them. 
I was also interested in learning Korean because my Koreans looked really bad. Um, but on campus, there were a lot of Korean students. To communicate better, you know, I had this desire to learn Korean. But I had no books or resources to study. And my sister, she decided to do a vacation and rerouted her vacation plans to come visit me, which was an honor, to see my family. And she brought uh, her two kids. So I had that fulfillment of, like, wanting to see family. You guys understand, when you really miss your family after months away, that was just pure joy. But not only that, before she comes, she said, do you need anything? I said, yes, I need Korean ramen noodles, instant noodles. So she brought me a whole case. But the other thing that she asked, she's like, are you sure that's all you need? I said, well, uh, I could use a small Bible. My, I like big Bibles. So yeah, I had big Bible. I like big Bibles, and I cannot lie. Yeah, I, I only had a big Bible. And, but for a mission trip, they said you should have a small portable Bible. So I said, I don't have a small Bible. So I said, hey, sis, can you bring me? Just buy me a, like a cheap, small Bible. That was my request. When she came and she gave me the Bible that she got for me, it's English NIV translation, but at the bottom were these Korean vocabulary words. So everything's written in, in English, except there's Korean vocabulary at the bottom, which was perfect because those vocabulary is what I could make flashcards with. So I tell you this. I never told this to anyone. I never asked God. I didn't even know such Bibles even existed in, in that format. When I asked my sister, hey, I need a Bible, God knew my heart. And at that time, as I would want to study Korean, a Bible with flashcards on the bottom. When you are walking with the Lord and you are worshiping him day and night, God knows your heart. You don't even have to petition. You don't have to make it into a prayer. God, I need your help. No, he's already helping you. He's already walking with you. And you know this if you are worshiping him. I can tell you many more stories like this. When we, yeah, he knows our thoughts. And he'll play jokes with you. Yeah. Wait until God plays a joke on you. That's something else. Anyways. Sometimes when we go through difficult trials and storm, I recognize that worship can be difficult. But when you need victory, you need to press in. You can't be passive and say, I'll wait until I get to church. And sometimes you can't even make it to church. You have to press in. You have to be proactive. You have to put God first. You have to be like Joshua. Before, before the battle... Soon as you cross over into that land, you worship. You set up the altar. You set up that memorial. You set up God's word and, and just bow down. Before God tells you anything else, before you even meet your enemies, you worship the Lord. You obey the small task that he increases the task that he gives you. And when you are found to be faithful and he increases your territory, he increases your blessings in your life, you become more and more faithful. You don't wait for the reasons to worship. You wait. You just honor him because he is worthy of worship. Then we know. We, then we receive all the more reasons to worship in thankfulness, recognizing that it is God who gives you all these things.
think about the, the battles that you may be going through right now. I think about the, the struggles or the stress or the challenges that some of you guys are going through. I'm just saying, I'm not telling you not to pray. But when we worship God first, that is a bridge to your victory. That is the means to his heart. When you win his heart, man, you get everything else. I say this over and over. Don't seek his hands. Seek his face. You get his face, you get his hands as well. Too many people just want his blessings of what his hands can do and not know the God. So, Jesus says something to that effect of stress and anxiety and worries of the people. And you can look at Matthew 6. And he talks about the sparrows and Solomon and all the blessings that they had. And his point was, do not worry. Do not be anxious. And he closes in Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And that's my challenge. If you seek God first, seek his kingdom first, and his will be done in your life first, let me tell you, you probably won't need to pray that prayer that you are lifting up. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Again, I can give you many examples of how that was real in my life. When I trusted God and I put God first, when I put worshiping him, obedience to him first. And I'm not saying that is easy because even as we were worshiping tonight and singing that song, oh my goodness, God was challenging on my faith. I'm not saying it's, not, it's easy. I'm just saying trust God first. Seek his kingdom first. Worship him first. Be proactive. Press in. And he'll bless you. I promise you. I put God's name on that. Amen. All right. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Blessing Place Wesley Chapel. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at our gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.